So on the top of your outline is the same verse that uh, I had at the top of last week's outline, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, talking about giving, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So we see there the instruction that it's not of necessity. You don't have to. And I made the statement last week in the first lesson that Tithing is wrong today, um, and if somebody wrote me a tithe check, I would not take it from them. And I say things like that, and people hear me say things like that, and the first thing that comes to their mind is, well, he don't believe in giving to God. He don't believe in giving money to Jesus. That's the first thing they think when I say, you shouldn't be tithing, and if you want to tithe here, I won't accept it. They hear me say, you don't believe in giving money to God. The reason for that is the only way that they know how to give to God, besides, you know, the missionary comes in and he has a nice slideshow and you slip him a tent or something. You know, the only other way they know of, of giving is tithing. And when you try to break people away from tithing, you're trying to break them away from religion and they don't like it. Um, either they come gladly because they didn't want to give any money anyway, or they are very proud of their tithing and I will not have you say that my tithing is not wonderful and righteous and holy and forevermore. So, that's what we're up against. Now, in your outline, I have a statement, a rather bold statement, um, where I say, tithing is not giving. It's not. A tithe is not giving. We went through all those verses last week, looking at all these tithes in the Bible where God commands it. It is law. There's no questions asked. I don't care what your heart is. You need to bring this tithe to the storehouse. Same thing that we go through every April 15th. I don't know how you guys feel, but when we write that check out to the federal government, I don't say, wow, it feels great to be giving today. I'm paying a tax. That's what a tithe is, and that is legalism. It's the law. You have to do it. You're not giving it. You are compelled to give it. I am against that. In this, the dispensation of the grace of God. I'm against Legalism. By the way, legalism, as we saw last week, is very biblical. It's more biblical to teach a tithe. If you want to count up stacks of verses, there's more verses about tithing than there are verses like 2 Corinthians 9-7. That's just the fact. All right, so that's, you wonder why, why is everybody so legalistic? Because they have no idea they're supposed to rightly divide this book. So they keep running into this legalism over and over again. Well, I guess we must tithe. So I'm against legalism, but I am for, you know, people say, you don't believe in giving money to God. Yeah, I do. I believe in supporting ministry. I'm for a different L word. Liberality. Oh, see? No, he's a liberal, too. <laughs> I'm most definitely not a liberal. Liberality. You're giving freely. You're not compelled to. Nobody sends you a bill. Nobody tells you you have to give to this much. It's, oh, it's 2 Corinthians 9-7. Each man according as he purposes in his own heart and has the ability. That's how you should give. Liberality. And both of these are biblical. You know, you hear the old... Old people say, I just love my old preacher. He's always preaching just right from the Bible. Okay, what's he going to preach from? The phone book? I mean, <laughs> being biblical is not good enough. I can show you, and we'll see some verses tonight where opposite things are instructed, and they're both biblical. You can't follow both. You have to pick one. So, I am for liberality instead of legalism. Legalism, you have the tithe. You, we saw before you had the 10% tithe three times in the Old Testament. We saw that. That is legalism. I'm not for that today. I'm definitely for it to Old Testament Israel because God told them to do it. But God gave us different instructions. And being biblical is not good enough. We have to pick one. And you have to know where to pick. So liberality is joyfully giving something because... You want to. I don't know how you guys feel, but if you've, let's be holy, if you've really needed something, needed to replace something, 
than had something worn out. You were excited to hand over that pile of money to get it. It was, how fast can I write out the check? You're joyfully doing something because you're getting a return out of it. That's liberality. Legalism is April 15th. Stupid IRS. That's legalism, okay? So we saw that the ten or the three 10% tithes in the Old Testament last week, and then I showed you the tithe that nobody ever preaches, and that was the one that Jesus preached in his earthly ministry to Israel. The 100% tithe. Sell everything you have, rich man. Then take the pile of money you get from all that stuff and give it to the poor. That leaves him with zero. And that was Christ's instructions to them. So we, we saw that and that program, when we leave at the end of this dispensation, when we're caught up in the air to meet the Lord, that will kick right back into place. That program going on with Christ and Israel and they will get their kingdom and all that. But right now in the nasty now and now, we need to learn that. Liberality. We need to get ourselves off of this and get on to liberality. That is the grace message to your wallet or your purse or wherever you keep your money. <laughs> but in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 8, and verse 1 and 2, we see that grace, this grace message is supposed to abound to liberality. Grace is supposed to be a springboard into teaching you, this is how you give now liberality, liberally, as according as you want to. But what happens a lot of times is people learn the grace message and you learn, oh, I don't have to tithe? I love this place. And you never bring your checkbook ever again. That's not what grace is supposed to teach. Grace is supposed to abound to something that's better than, I've got to pay my tax to the church or the preacher said God's going to not bless me. It's, there's more to it than that. And... You know, like I said before, you try to teach this kind of stuff to people who love their religion, and they get angry. I, I made the analogy of I would not accept a tithe check from a man who was going to give me a tithe check. How do you think that's going to work out? <laughs> I mean, the guy, for whatever reason, thinks I'm worthy of his money. He wants to invest in whatever I'm doing, enough to the point where he writes me out a check. Here's my tithe. And I say, no. I mean, that's only going to go one of two ways. It's going to be, why? And he's going to be curious, or he's going to be mad. And, you know, like Terry was talking about, that one guy that chased him out in the parking lot and wanted to punch him in the face because he wouldn't accept his tithe. There's only one way, you know, one way or the other to go. But last week we spent a lot of time looking at, and I even said it, we're looking at the what's, the this tithe, the that tithe, what it was, what it was for, who it was to. And... At the top of this lesson, we read 2 Corinthians 9, 7. We saw all these tithes that God taught in the Old Testament. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, a prohibition on tithing. I don't know how you read it, but the words are pretty simple. Liberality prohibits tithing. It says, not of necessity. A tithe is a necessity. We saw it over and over again last week. These are my commandments. These are my statutes. You will do this. You will bring it when I say. That's necessity. You have to. And 2 Corinthians 9.7 prohibits it. Isn't that something? Over here, you have all this Bible commanding you, this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to do it. This is when you're going to bring it. And then over here, you've got this Bible over here that prohibits you from following the other part. I didn't think that was possible, Marty. Yeah. You know, people have been taught, you know, it's all the same cover to cover, including the cover. No. God's program changes, and you must respect God's changes and his dispensations. That's why I get so... Uh, spend it seemingly an inordinate amount of time talking about rightly dividing because it's that important. This prohibits me from doing that. You are not allowed to do that. That's what that verse says. You know, like I said, I teach against tithing and people think I don't, I don't think about, you know, I don't believe in giving money to Jesus. That's because that's all they know. Legalism. That's all they've been taught. That's all they've heard pounded from their pulpits by their fiery preachers. 
they know nothing of liberality haven't heard about it and there's reasons for that we'll get into that in a little bit but you know you, you see the just the hardness of the legalism of the law it's hard and cold we saw that over and over again last week and the question is why does everybody seem to embrace legalism who wants that I mean, we're all like, I just want to be free. I just want to be me and do what I want. But, you know, you have people filing into legalistic churches and sitting down and, and writing checks when they're told and doing what they're told. You know, you mentioned the one church you heard about. There are churches out there where you are, if you want to be a member, you are required to submit your W-2s and you are required to sign papers where they are allowed to come in and look at your bank accounts and look at your tax forms because they want to make sure you're tithing. Who would sign up for that? Lots of people. And the reason is they are taught it from right here, from the pulpit. They're coerced. They're cunningly deceived by people who are just in it for the money. A lot of times, some you know, I can't paint a broad brush over everybody. There are good men who are confused or men who are trying to do the right thing but don't know the truth, they're ignorant. But a lot of times, preachers, you know, we're a startup assembly. You know, how, you know what a lot of preachers who do startup assemblies dream about? The day I can quit my job so I can be a full-time in the ministry. I had an old pastor that used to be my pastor. He said, you know, most preachers can't wait to the point where they can eat chicken and not work. I mean, that's a pretty nice gig, you know. Two, three hours speaking a week, maybe go visit some old folks. You get benefits, 401k, you know, maybe get a parsonage. That's what a lot of these guys are in it for. And they're dependent on this to keep their money coming in. But there are two, if I can paint a broad brush, there's two main motivators that pulpits use to separate you from your money and bring your money into their storehouse. Two main motivations. And interestingly enough, they're both in the same portion of Scripture. The first one is they play on your greed. You say, what? How do you talk people into giving money based off of their own greed? It doesn't seem to make sense. How is that possible? Well, I would remind you of the last time you went to the gas station and all you wanted to do was put 10 on 2 and get home. But you got to stand there and wait in line behind six people who were buying lottery tickets. Why are they up there giving their money, holding the line up? I promise you they're not passionate about supporting the state schools. That's not why they're there. They are there freely dumping their money for greed. They want to get the big prize. And that's what's taught from pulpits. All right. Malachi 3. If you haven't been to Malachi, the Latin prophet, recently it's right before Matthew. Now, I'm going to do a demonstration. I said my point in all this was I wanted to protect everyone that is here or everyone that watches these on the Internet from being lied to and stolen from by pulpits. And so I'm going to be doing a demonstration of how it's done, a bad demonstration. I can't lie and coerce with the same passion and smoothness as a lot of pastors can. But In Malachi 3.10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Isn't this God's house here? Amen. Can I get an Amen. That there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there shall be not enough room to receive it. Hallelujah. Let me show you how it's done here. This is the verse, this is the springboard verse. Bring me the tithes. This is God's house. Welcome to God's house. Did you bring your tithes into the storehouse today? You know, some of you may be struggling out there. Some of you may be having financial problems. You have all these bills. You don't have a lot of money coming in. This is a demonstration, by the way. 
You wonder if God's forgotten about you. Where's God? Why isn't He blessing me? He says He wants to bless me, doesn't He? Did you know that God has a plan for each and every one of you? I love the uh, New International Version's rendition of Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you. Did you know God's been planning for you? He's got a plan. Declare, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you! Here you are. You're looking every month. You have all these bills. I don't have enough money. What are we not going to pay? That is not God's plan for your life. His plan is to have you prosperous. So why aren't you? Why aren't you prosperous now? Why is God's plan not happening for your life? Hallelujah. What's holding God's hand of blessing back from you? You say, I can't give any extra money because I don't have any. I don't have enough. Well, did you know what God promises you in Proverbs 19? He says, He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord. You think the Lord's good for that? You think the Lord can pay you back for that? Well, He says He does right here. And that which He hath given, He will pay again. So even if you don't have the money, if you give money, God will pay you back. Hallelujah. The Lord has pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. He promises us that in Psalm 35, 27. Do you believe it? So why are you not prospering? You feel your greed getting built up? What's stopping the Lord from having pleasure in prospering you? Why is God's plan, why are you stopping God's plan from happening in your life? And holding back the prosperity and the windows of heaven. You're keeping the windows of heaven closed. What are you doing? All he asked for was ten cents of every one of your dollars. And you won't give it to him. That's what's holding God's hand of prosperity back. You say, I don't believe you. I'm not saying it. The Lord says it. Malachi 3.10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. I will open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall be not enough room to receive it. Why can't you believe God's promises? Why don't you have enough faith to follow God's instructions and allow that prosperity and that blessing to come down on you? If you won't believe Malachi, will you believe the Lord Himself? If you won't trust His prophet, will you trust the words from the very Lord? In Luke 6, he says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. And not just anyway. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. God's just not going to fill up a barrel and hand it to you. He's going to fill it up and He's going to shake it and He's going to press it down until it's overflowing. That's what He wants for you. But you're holding it back because you won't bring me my tithes into the storehouse. That's how it's done. Most of the time. That's... The greed, motivation for giving. It's the same as the lottery. If you just buy that dollar, you can't win if you don't play. If you just buy that ticket. That's greed. And that's taught all over America and pulpits everywhere today. If you don't believe me, turn on any televangelist. They can't go ten minutes without begging you for money and promising you God's going to miracle a condo in Florida out of the sky for you. Happens all the time. And that's why most people give. They give to get something. That's why most people show up at church. They're trying to get something from God, whether it be a blessing or a problem fixed or money or, or whatever. That's why most people go and that's why most people give money. Giving to get in their their giving is taught as if they're Old Testament Israel under a covenant from God and they're looking for earthly kingdom and earthly stuff and earthly prosperity. And that's, how they, that's all they know. They know nothing of liberality. They know nothing of God has a plan for heavenly places that doesn't involve you living in a mansion. I mean, so that's what most people are taught. And all they love to tell stories. The stories. I, I just couldn't tithe, but God pressed it upon my heart to tithe, and I wrote the check when I didn't have the money, and sure enough, I went to the mailbox the next day, and there was $10 million. You know, whatever the stories are. Um, I'm not here to fight anecdotal stories, but the fact I would, if I could respectfully submit this, 
the fact that these stories sound amazing, that proves my point, not yours. Because if God was operating under a covenant with you in America right now, um, the stories wouldn't be amazing. Well, duh, of course. You know, God sends everybody $10,000 that tithes. Duh, idiot. The fact that the stories are amazing are, and not happening to everybody, that proves my point. So, um, I hate to be the bucket of cold water. You know, I pour cold water on pretty much everything. Now I'm pouring cold water on people's stories. But um, it's, the fact of the matter is we're not living under a covenant. We're living under a dispensation of God's grace where I give you everything freely. Trust me by faith. That's it. All right, so that's greed. That's how you get people to happily write you checks from a greedy heart. Call it the carrot. Let's do the second one. Guilt. That would be the stick. The second way that preachers separate you from your money is through guilt. Some of you tonight have relatives in the hospital. You're struggling financially. Your health is bad. You can't get your problem solved. And you're wondering, where are you, God? Where are your promises, God? I won't go through all the uh, the other stuff. But why are things bad? Why is God not fixing my problems? You say you want to have the money to do things. You want to have the money to help out. And you want to be able to put your kids in a nice school and you want to be able to support the church, but nothing seems to be working out for you. You ever wonder why that is? Well, I'll tell you why that is. We know the Lord has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant, so why are you having so many problems? Hmm. Why is God allowing, pulling back his hand of protection from your life and allowing judgment and pain and problems to come upon you? Why is he doing that to you? Does he still love you? Yes, he does. Don't we know from 2 Samuel 7.14, he says, My son, if he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. You've got men beating up on you right and left. You've got problems coming from here, problems coming from there. You can't get anything right. Why is this happening? God is chastening you. He's judging you for your disobedience and your iniquity. This is what you need to understand. He's chastening you. Because you're holding back on him. All he asked from you, he's given you everything. And all he says is take ten cents of every dollar and put it back to my work. That's all he asked for. And you won't give it to him. And now you wonder, why is all these bad things happening? God is judging you. How do you expect God to bless you when you're stealing out of his pocket? Hallelujah. And then they take you right back to Malachi. If you still have it open in your Bible, you'll see the stick. It's right before the carrot. Verse 8, Malachi 3.8. I just said at the end of my little um, fake rant, you're stealing out of God's pocket. Where did I get that from? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings, ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me even this whole nation. And then it goes into verse 10 with the tithes in the storehouse. That is the second motivation that's preached from pulpits. Sometimes they do both. Sometimes they'll just take the progression. They'll up and then offer you the greedy solution at the end. And by the way, that's fine if you're Old Testament Israel under a covenant. It's laid out. If you do this, I will do that. If you don't do this, I will do that. It's a covenant relationship. The only problem is when God says, yeah, that's all over right now. We're doing this. And you try to put people back under that system. Um, By the way, I guess I can always try that crooked preaching if this all doesn't work out. Uh, But that is how it's done. Now, what I did there was I... 
used multiple versions because the one version didn't say what I needed it to say, so I went to the other one. I ripped every verse out of its context, and I piled it up in a beautiful amalgamation and threw it all on your faces. That's how it's done. That's what happens when you completely disregard right division, you completely disregard context, dispensational stuff, and you walk up to the pulpit with an agenda, and this is how I'm going to get it done, and I'm going to use this Bible garnish to get it done. That's what happens every day. That's why I can't get along in churches. <laughs> I can't help it. But uh, the carrot and the stick, like I said, that's fine if you're under a covenant relationship, but the guy who came and got the message from the Lord Jesus Christ about this liberality and this grace dispensation, the guy who got that says, the law, all that, Galatians 4.9, is weak and beggarly compared to grace. Legalism is weak and beggarly. But before I move on, it's, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than we're better than legalism now. We've evolved as creatures. It's got nothing to do with that. It's a state thing. I just read Malachi 3.9 where these people robbed God. They didn't bring the money in. And God says, you are cursed with a curse. And I use the example of the preachers who do that every week. They'll curse you from their pulpits out of Malachi 3.9. Put you under a curse. Why is that a problem? Turn over to Galatians. Why is it a problem when the preacher who needs your money takes you to Malachi and curses you to get you to write a bigger check next week, it's more than weak and beggarly. Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us. My son asked me what redeemed meant today. He bought me out of it. Christ paid the price in his own blood. He hath redeemed us from the curse of Malachi, the law. How do you do that? Being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So Galatians 3 tells me, Christ bought you out of that curse. He became a curse for you to get you out of that and set you free. And what does Christ do with all that? He justifies you. The best way I ever heard described of describing what the word justified means is Christ makes it just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I was as righteous as him. He gives you that. He gives me his righteousness. He makes me at peace with God. He gives me an internal, eternal inheritance. He does all that, puts all that in place before I was ever born. Gets me out of that curse, but this guy is going to stand in a pulpit and take all that away from me so he can get money out of my pocket. That's the problem with tithing. That's the problem with legalism. You're in Galatians 3, look down at the bottom of the chapter, verse 24. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, what function did it have? To bring you to Christ. I can't do this, Lord. 613 points. I've never loved the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul. One day in my life, God, what can I do? He brings you to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. You have no need for legalism once you've been brought to Christ. Why are pulpits putting you back under it? I'll tell you why in a minute. But these verses have been in the Bible a long time. I'm not the first one to find them. Why is everybody still teaching legalism and tithing? And I can't answer their motivation, but the fact that they'll take you and curse you out of Malachi 3, robbing you of your justification, robbing you of your imputed righteousness, robbing you of the peace you have with God, the standing with God, the internal inheritance, knowing that He's given you all spiritual blessings freely, they will take all that away from you just to get your money. Whoops. 
I don't know what you guys get upset about, but that gets under my skin. Rob you, and you wonder why so many people are confused, and so many people don't know, What's, what does God want me to do? What is God doing? Because they're being twisted and torqued in their pews for their money every week, taught wrongly. That's the problem with tithing. Now, you know, woe unto those men <laughs> on Judgment Day. Those, you know, a lot of pastors are unsaved. Uh, most people don't know that, but to the pastors that are, I will not want to, you know, when it comes to their turn to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ and the fire going, go, you know, whoa, you're about to have a bad day, buddy. Woe unto them. Now, there are people who know all of this, who know about liberality. They know we're not under the law. They know Galatians. There are people who know that and still teach tithing. How is that possible? Well, when you go through this, if you ever talk about this with somebody with tithing, and you go through all this, you will hear the first and only impassioned speech about a guy named Melchizedek. Who's Melchizedek? Melchizedek. Four-syllable name. Over in Genesis 14, they'll say, yeah, you're not under the law, you're not under grace, that's no problem, but, uh, you know, uh, tithing is pre-law. Did you know that? But tithing, I, I said last week, tithing was taught to me as if it was an ageless, timeless thing from eternity to eternity. The one constant in all the universe is you will write your 10% check to the preacher. Well, what they, t- that they do is they take you to Melchizedek and Abraham in Genesis 14. Now, this Melchizedek, when you read more about him in Hebrews, it's kind of an odd character, and I won't get into all that tonight. But Melchizedek, in verse 18, the king of Salem brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, what had happened here was Abraham had had these wicked kings come in. They took his family, kidnapped his family, took all of his stuff, and Abraham, you know, all right, boys. Let's go. Let's get an army together. You grab your shotgun. I'll grab my M16. Let's have at it. They go chase down the wicked kings and have a great battle against them. Kill all the bad guys. Get all their family back and bring back all the stuff. That's what's just happened. Now, I don't know what you all do for jobs every, all day, every day. I didn't engage in any battles this week. Um, none of my family members were kidnapped. So, anyways. But... Um, And he blessed him, and he said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. So Abraham's got all this stuff, all the spoils that he brought back from the war. Melchizedek comes out and blesses him, and Abraham gives him tithes of everything he had. He gives him a tenth of all the spoils of war. Um, So what they, the people who still teach tithing, knowing that you're not under the law, They'll say, Abraham paid his tithe. You think you're greater than Abraham that you don't have to? Who are you? And that's, that should be very illustrative because you have in your... This happened exactly one time in your Bible. It happened after a battle. After That's not your average day. That's not, hey, honey, you know, I went to work out in the sheep field today. What's for dinner? You went out and went to war killed people, and brought your family back. That's not, that's my job, that's just what I do when I give 10% to God. But people will take you here to try to force you under that tithe, even though they know you're not under the law. Now, why? Because this is scary to people who need you to be regularly bringing money in to pay their salaries. And by the way, they know you've been lying to them. You've been saying, oh yeah, preacher, I give my 10%, amen, bless God, hallelujah. Two. That's the average percentage of income that's given to churches. Two. So, they are deathly afraid to set you at liberality, knowing that they're going to maybe lose their two, and two's going to go down to one. Now, I love that story that Terry told about 
He taught the one guy tithing. He was ready to punch him in the face. Or, you know, tithing was wrong. Then he taught the other guy, and his $76.87 check went down to 70. (laughs) Then it went down to 50. (laughs) Then it went down to 30. (laughs) Then zero. (laughs) It's scary because liberality requires equipped believers who know the deal and know what's going on to support the ministry. And that's a lot harder than just twisting a few verses and get everybody into either a greedy lather or a guilty lather. It's a lot harder than that. But it's right, and it's true, and it's what God's doing. But the question now is, okay, there's no carrot, there's no stick. Why should I give anything? Why? What's the point? You know, it's kind of like when you learn the grace message, why pray? Why give? Well, number one, you've heard of the sacrificial gift and the faith promise gift. I'm going to have to hurry up here. I spent the whole time talking about what's wrong. I haven't got much time for what's right. You have your notes and your homework. In 1 Timothy 5.8, all the stories you hear about, I didn't have the money and I knew I wasn't going to be able to feed little Johnny if I... Spent that money, but I spent it anyway. Yeah, that's not what God would have you to do today. Your number one priority, support your family. Before you pay the picture? <gasps> yeah. First Timothy 5.8 But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Kind of puts the kibosh on your stories, huh? <laughs> I didn't have the money and I knew that we would be going... Oh, well, yeah. First priority, take care of your own household. That's And so much so that if you won't do that, you're denied the faith? Worse than an infidel? By the way, last week we were in Matthew 19. This instruction here in 1 Timothy 5.8 is exactly the opposite of what Jesus said in Matthew 19. Remember what he said? He says, any of you that have forsaken your houses and your brethren and your sister and father and wife for me, you will inherit everlasting life. Completely opposite. They can't be to the same people. They can't be the same thing. One says, if you don't provide, you're worse than an infidel. The other one, Christ says, if you don't forsake them for me, you're not going to get everlasting life. It's not the same thing. Different programs, different dispensations. Anyways, so there's no carrot, there's no stick. I know that my first priority is to support my family. That's getting harder and harder these days. Everything's getting more expensive and we're not making any more money. There's a lot less, it's not the roaring 90s with good old Bill Clinton anymore. <laughs> but what's my motivation for giving? Why should I give to the Lord? Why should I give to ministry? Well, should be out of thanks. Thanks. Giving. Where did I get an idea like that? First Thessalonians 5.18 In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, that's in everything. That includes your giving. Your giving should be out of thanks for what God's done for you. You give money, you're supporting ministries, you're furthering the gospel. Your heart motivation has nothing to do with greed or guilt or you. The only thing that you bring to it is, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your saints. Thank you, Lord, for your gospel that you've given to me. Thank you, Lord, for dying for my sins. Start with that. If you can't find anything to be thankful for, start with that. You had eternal life because he died for you. God came and died for you. That's a pretty big deal. Thank you, Lord. You know, you stand there and you look at the mirror and you think of the salvation that's so been given to you freely and 
the grace and the mercy and the inheritance and the everlasting life that God says, it's yours. Just trust me. And you think about that. Wow. Thank you, Lord. And your grateful heart, your thanksgiving heart, will motivate you. Well, people put money and time and effort and lost sleep and did all that to get the gospel to me over thousands of years. Why don't I want to get involved with that too? And then I can help somebody else look in the mirror and say, Thank you, Lord. That's why we give. You know, I mentioned that I never wanted to give a penny when it was legalism. <laughs> I don't like being told what to do. But, and every time I did give, it's, here you go, Jesus. <laughs> Could have watched a movie with that. <laughs> but when you, when you have the mind of grace and liberality and thanks, it's, here, I'm excited. I want to give. That's why liberality is so much better than legalism. It's actually giving. You're not paying a tax. You're giving freely. But I'm forever at peace with God, Romans 5.1, because of what He did for me. And it has nothing to do with my checkbook. It has nothing to do with my works. Nothing to do with my righteousness. He did it all for me. Thank you. I want to help other people have the same position in Christ that I have. And I write the check. That's why we give. Nobody uses checks anymore. Debit cards. <laughs> That's the first reason. The second reason, okay, what this was priority of these reasons for giving. Number two is pretty easy because it's necessary. God's not miracling piles of cash out of the sky. It's necessary. Philippians 4.15, Paul's talking to the Philippians naturally. And he says, uh, For you, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Paul is a terrible televangelist. He was waiting for other churches to ask him about giving him money? You've got to be ten minutes on the hour asking for that money. No, he, he said, nobody even asked me about it until you guys asked me. You were the first. So Paul's not out there begging for money. When I, if I can say this, if you have to stand there and beg for money, shut it down. Shut it down. That's what I'll do before I'll ever beg for money. Shut it down. But anyways, but no church except the Philippians communicate with them. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. You can't live, I mean, well, I suppose you could be a hermit in the mountains somewhere, but... Ministry needs money. This stuff costs. Lights and drywall and windows and heat and paper that you get your outlines. All that stuff costs money. I mean, if, we are, <laughs> if we'll ever find ourselves in a wonderful position where we're not meeting in another church's building, it's going to cost money. We're going to have to pay for it. God's not just going to, look at that in the distance. There's a building falling out of the sky. Grace Bible ambassadors, the science. No, it's not going to happen. You need money. It's necessary. So, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory, but, you know, it's a good reason. It, it is necessary. And when you have a grateful Thanksgiving heart and you have some extra cash, it's fun to provide for people's necessity. I, I won't tell stories about myself. Nobody wants to hear that, but... I just I had an experience where I had some extra money and I was able to help out another ministry and it was fun. Here you go. Go out, brother. Rock on, you know, whatever. It's a you know, it's a fun thing to do, but anyways. The last reason to give to support ministry which has nothing to do with legalism. It's God's will. Huh? I use this verse all the time, 1 Timothy 2.3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's will is, and I shorten it, soul saved, saints edified. So, my giving to ministry has nothing to do with carrots or sticks to me, punishment or rewards from God. No, my giving to ministry is because I have a goal. 
I want to see souls saved and saints edified. I want to give to ministries that support seeing souls, souls saved and saints edified. And then those edified saints seeing more souls saved and more saints. That's why I give. Not because of anything to do with me or money or blessings or cursings. No, it's because I know what God's will is. And I'm putting myself and my checkbook in line with what God's doing. It's no more complicated than that. You say, that's not fun. That's not exciting. What about my windows of heaven and the blessing? Well, it's eternal, if that counts for anything. You will be judged one day at the judgment seat of Christ um, for your giving. A final point, and I'll wrap this up quick. Let me erase all this here. You will be held accountable for your giving. Aha! I knew he was going to get to it, that legalistic jerk. I knew he was hiding. No. Let me explain. You have to give an account. It's in the judgment seat of Christ earlier. You, on your own, standing before your glorified Lord and Savior... Let's see what Steve did. I don't know. That gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. It's like, man, I could have done better this week. Romans 14.10 says, We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Um, we're not going to be held accountable for how much we gave. Monetarily. It's got nothing to do with it. The frequency, I wrote a check every week, Lord. Nothing to do with it. Um, you can't just stop by any, you know, God receptacle and drop off a check. and We're good, God. <laughs> gave some money. Now, you're going to be held accountable for who you gave your money to and what you spent your giving on. Where do I get an idea like that? Well, Paul. 1 Corinthians 3, and we'll close. The criteria for success at the judgment seat of Christ has nothing to do with whether or not you are the top tither. If you were, you know, you know how you get to be a deacon in most churches. You write the big check. Brother, we just love you, and, you know, we've been watching you come along, and we want you to be on the deacon board. Thanks for that quarter million. Amen. Bless God. That's how it happens. That's... Not going to be the issue at the judgment seat of Christ. The guy with the biggest pile of canceled checks ain't going to win. 1 Corinthians 3, 9. Paul's talking here, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's, God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. This is Paul talking. I am the wise master builder. He says, I have laid the foundation. You know what that means? Peter didn't. Peter came before Paul. Paul was the first one to get the revelation of the mystery, the first one to get the dispensation of God's grace, because if he didn't, he couldn't make that statement. I have laid the foundation. Foundation's the first thing. So you know here, you know that's what people say. Well, Paul was just a continuation of Peter and the boys, and he was just one of their... No. You can't make statements like this unless you were giving something very specific and very special from God. I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he says, take heed how you build on my foundation of Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, tithe check. <coughs> that was the Steve yoke national version he says every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of how big his check was no what sort what kind of work and if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon he shall receive a reward if any man's work shall be burned it's gone you suffer loss but yet, you get into heavenly places, wiping the fire off your tail feathers. 
yet himself he shall be saved, yet so is by fire. The kind of giving you should be supporting ministries that build on a Pauline foundation. That's what he says right there. The fire is trying what kind of work? Are you supporting ministries that are building Paul's foundation of Christ according to the revelation of the mystery? You know what that... <laughs> that really kind of narrows your field of who to give money to. I can count... Let me count. Yep. One hand. I can count ministries that I know of in America... Obviously, I don't know of them all, but of the ones I know of, one hand ministries that I would give money to. Because they're the only people I know that are building upon a Pauline foundation of Christ. So, that's something to be aware of, too, with your giving. Um, But the grace message to your wallet, that's what all this has been about, and I'm sorry I've gone along again two weeks in a row. Um, Number one, take care of your own family. Provide for your house. None of this sacrificial faith promise I'm going to empty my bank account and give it to the, what was the guy's name camping, tribulation's going to be next week, people were selling their homes and emptying their, none of that take care of your own house first number two, the grace message to my wallet is wallet and money contained herein you are just temporal tools to further God's plan, God's program I'm not looking for God to bless my wallet and give me the shining city and castle on the hill and all these wonders. This is not my home. I don't live here. Why would I care about having a mansion here? So the grace message to your wallet is take care of your house. Extra money you have. Put it towards what God's doing according to God's will, according to God's plan, according to his message that he gave through the Apostle Paul. Find people that are doing that and support them. And it's got nothing to do with holding back blessings because he gave them all freely to me. It's got nothing to do with if you don't give, I'm going to judge you because he took my judgment for me. It's got nothing to do with that. It's about you're here an ambassador. Use the tools you have and do the work of an ambassador with all the tools you have. So that's definitely not as exciting as the greed or the guilt. And you can't really finish with a flurry and have everybody crying and walking forward. But it's the truth. So... That is all I have. The other last thing is it's 2 Corinthians 9.7. Your giving is a heartometer. It says every man according as he purposes in his heart. When you look back and see what you're giving all your extra money to, it's like, wow, my heart needs to change a little bit. I've got my priorities out of whack. So, and that's you using God's word to work effectually in you, not some jerk with good hair founding a pulpit and working you into an emotional lather. Any questions? Comments?